Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic. Episode 154. I've never seen the American people more angry than they are today. However, I've also never seen them more hopeful than they are today. What does this mixture of anger and hope mean exactly? This week we're going to discuss exactly what that means for America. When I went to receive my third degree in the Knights of Columbus, nobody had told me that we'd be quizzed on proficiency in our knowledge of the faith. I thought I might be embarrassed because, well, you know, they were knights after all. I was embarrassed, all right, embarrassed for the other 50-plus men there. With the exception of two other men, they couldn't answer the most simple catechism questions. Things like, how many sacraments are there, and what are the mysteries of the rosary? During the social activities after the degree work, I listened to what the men were saying about what they'd just been through. To my amazement, they actually thought that they'd been asked very advanced catechism questions. That night's Columbus third degree was not an isolated situation. Sadly, at least 95% of American Catholics are wholly or almost wholly ignorant of the Catholic faith. But I'm offering you a remedy for your parishioners. Introducing the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Endorsed by Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke, each of these inserts teaches a thumbnail catechism lesson. When your parishioners begin to get involved, they'll get many more benefits at a cost of only $19.95 a month to your parish. But you won't start out paying that because I want to give it to you for three months for free just to try it out. Take 11 minutes to watch a video by clicking the link in my show notes that says Six Pack System Bulletin Inserts to learn more. 
This is a good idea for priests who want to help their parishioners become fully catechized, and a lot of lay people get a subscription for their parish as a way to support the parish without giving the bishop any of their money. To learn more, click on the link in my show notes that says Six-Pack System Bulletin Inserts. It just requires 11 minutes of your time. There's absolutely no question in any rationally thinking person's mind that pretender Biden was not elected last year. But even among those who are soft in the head enough to believe that the 2020 election scam was just a big conspiracy theory, you know, the 300 or so people who actually voted for the communist in chief, are having major buyer remorse. In fact, according to a poll from Daily Mail, a full 80% of Democrat voters regret their decision to place the old pervert in the White House. Polls are going to vary, of course, but even the most liberal polls that can be counted on to spout Democratic propaganda on a regular basis aren't the least bit in pretender Biden's favor. And why should they be? Let's take a brief look at what the communist-in-chief has done in the short year he's been in office. This is just a partial list of the things Biden has done to America and individual Americans. He severely raised the price of insulin for diabetics. He deployed troops to Iraq and Syria. He eliminated 70,000 jobs canceled permits for the Keystone Pipeline, contradicted his fracking promise. He supplements our fuel needs from Russia and Venezuela, even though we were energy independent under Trump. He lost multiple union support three days after inauguration because of his economy-damaging policies, essentially eliminated women's sports, eliminated the new tradition of donating the POTUS salary and will be enriching his family instead, mandated to wear a mask at any federal facility which he's already violated multiple times. He signed an expansion package to encourage government bloating, gave access to our power grids back to China, stopped the wall construction, rejoin the Paris Accord, where the U.S. will be penalized for the Industrial Revolution and China will reap rewards. He lifted the travel ban on Middle Eastern countries into the United States, ordered the immediate release of violent criminals from ICE facilities. He's allowed Red China to violate the Taiwanese airspace and military aircraft and naval vessels with impunity and he's reinstated national funding for abortion. This is just a partial list of the havoc caused by Biden and his demonic minions in just a short year. Don't worry, though, it's going to get worse. Biden and the Dems in Congress, as well as those Dems who are operating fiefdoms in major cities across America, are dead set on destroying this nation. And they're trying to do it at breakneck speed. A prime example of their organized efforts to destroy this nation can be found in the Senate confirmation of Rachel Rollins as the United States District Attorney for Massachusetts. Senator Ted Cruz addressed his Senate colleagues on the floor of the Senate to oppose confirmation of Rachel Rollins. Let's listen to what Senator Cruz had to say. Mr. President, I rise today to strongly oppose the confirmation of Rachel Rollins to be U.S. Attorney in Massachusetts. 
Many Americans have probably never heard of Rachel Rollins, but they are becoming very familiar with the kind of lawlessness and dangerous crime that radical left-wing district attorneys like her have generated. Under their watch, we've seen looting and larceny and violent crime rates rise in cities all over the country the past couple of years. Ms. Rollins is part of a web of left-wing district attorneys across the country who see it as their job not to prosecute crime, rather to protect criminals. There's Ms. Rollins in Boston, Cheza Boudin in, in San Francisco, Kim Gardner in St. Louis, Kim Fox in Chicago, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, and John Chisholm in Milwaukee, among others. What's happened with these prosecutors who refuse to prosecute crime? Well, all too predictably, crime rates have skyrocketed. Last year, the murder rate went up nearly 30% overall, and it went up 40% in cities with populations between 100,000 and 250,000. We've seen horrific crimes and tragedies that could have been prevented if these DAs had simply done their jobs. Take John Chisholm, the DA in Milwaukee, who released Daryl Brooks, a repeat and dangerous criminal, on $1,000 bail. What was the crime he was charged with? Using his vehicle, a red SUV, to run down a woman, the mother of his child. Released on a $1,000 bail. What happened? Brooks, as we all know, drove that same red SUV through a Christmas parade, murdered six people, including an eight-year-old boy. That man should not have been on the street, should not have been behind the wheel. The DA knew he was a violent criminal who used that SUV as an instrument of violence. And for $1,000, the left-wing DA let him go. Had Brooks not been out on such a low bail, this horrific tragedy wouldn't have occurred. That eight-year-old boy would still be alive. Our communities don't need prosecutors who endanger the very communities they're supposed to serve by refusing to prosecute or detain criminals. They don't need left-wing prosecutors who let violent criminals walk the streets. The damage that these so-called prosecutors can do has, thankfully, been somewhat limited by the fact that when they choose not to prosecute criminals, the federal government has the ability in many instances to step in and charge criminals federally. But Joe Biden and Senate Democrats are working to change that by elevating one of these radical, leftist, soft-on-crime district attorneys, Rachel Rollins, to be the U.S. attorney in Massachusetts, the chief federal prosecutor in the entire state, state of Massachusetts. 
Let's talk a little bit more about what exactly Rachel Rollins believes prosecutors should do and what her record is. Rachel Rollins has been vocal and aggressive against prosecuting crime. She has been very clear that she came into the job of district attorney as a crusader. She has said, and these are her words, if you want to change the criminal legal system, become a prosecutor. Because they have the power to determine charges, what crimes to decline to prosecute or divert, and how to fashion bail hearings. She's been quite open in what her intentions are. Ms. Rollins tells us that what, that's what matters about a prosecutor. It's not taking bad guys off the street. It's not seeking justice for the victims of crime. No, it is the power to say, I won't prosecute these crimes. And with Ms. Rollins, it's not hypothetical because she is a district attorney. And as the Boston DA, she went so far as to write down in quote, the Rachel Rollins policy memo, a list of 15 crimes whose prosecution, quote, should always be declined or, quote, dismissed without conditions. Charges on this list of 15 crimes should be declined or dismissed pre-arraignment without conditions. The presumption is the charges that fall into this category should always be declined. So you've got a DA saying, these are the, the crimes we don't prosecute, always be declined, dismissed without conditions. So you may say, okay, maybe this is like some sort of criminal justice reform. Maybe this is low-level, nonviolent marijuana possessions. Teenager got caught with a joint. We're not going to prosecute those. Look, reasonable people can actually disagree on that. We can have an intelligent conversation back and forth about that. But the beauty of it is we don't have to speculate because she put it in writing. These are the 15 crimes, as are her policies. These are the 15 crimes where charges should be dismissed pre-arraignment without condition. Number one, trespass. So I want you to think about it. If you don't want to see people trespassing on your property, well, under Rachel Rollins, the Democrats' U.S. attorney, we don't prosecute trespass. What else? Shoplifting. Has anyone watched the videos of the people breaking into stores and stealing and stealing and stealing and looting? You know what? Joe Biden and Senate Democrats, they're bringing that to a neighborhood near you. Shoplifting, we don't prosecute. That's what she says. Shoplifting, ali ali oxen free. You see a TV you like, pick that damn thing up and run out of the store. Because your friend, the fake prosecutor, is not going to charge you. Larceny. 
Really? Larceny? Larceny, we don't prosecute. Disorderly conduct. You're a single mom coming home at night. A drunk vagrant is yelling, screaming, cursing at your kids. You know what? Not a crime here. We don't prosecute that. What else? Receiving stolen property. Okay, this is at least intellectually consistent. You're going to legalize shoplifting, rob the hell out of the stores. At least the fence can be on the back end. So you can steal that TV, go straight to the fence. By the way, I guess you could do it in the parking lot. Set up a van right there. We fence stolen property. You run in and grab it. I'll fence it right here. The A, all good by us. Driving with a suspended license. Well, sometimes that might be okay. What was it suspended for? Was it suspended for DWI? Was it suspended because you're a drunk who's killed people? Was it suspended because you're this homicidal maniac in Milwaukee who murdered six people? You know what? This DA says, hey, driving with a suspended license, no problem at all, no longer a crime. Breaking and entering into a vacant property without property damage. So any property that's vacant, you can break in, and you're fine. Locks don't matter. Burglar alarms don't matter. By the way, burglar alarm goes off. What the hell do you do? You show up. Hey, you don't prosecute it. I'm staying right here. You may say, well, at least there's something reasonable. It's without property damage, right? Well, no, except the problem is number eight on the list. Breaking and entering into a vacant property with property damage. So it doesn't matter. Break into the place. Loot it. Trash it. Destroy it. All is good in Joe Biden's criminal-friendly America. Number nine. Wanton or malicious destruction of property. By the way, don't believe the Democratic talking points. This stuff isn't violent, really. Wanton or malicious destruction of property. Not a crime in Joe Biden's America. Threats. Threats of violence. I want you to imagine right now you've got an angry vagrant making threats of violence against your children. You call the DA saying, my family's being threatened, protect our safety, and what does she say? Not a crime. Oh, well. Stinks to be you. Threats are just A-OK. Minor in possession of alcohol. Hey, great. Kids, drink up. Actually, the beauty of it is in Joe Biden's America, the kids can get drunk. They can drive, they can have their license suspended, and apparently they'll get a gold star at the end of it. Minor possession of alcohol, we've got Senate pages here, just go down to the U.S. Attorney's Office, they're serving margaritas. Marijuana possession, okay, I said we can debate marijuana possession. Reasonable people can disagree on that now, doesn't specify the quantity. Teenager with a joint. You could say that that may be a good candidate for diversion to something else. Drug dealer with several kilos of pot in the back. Maybe you ought to be prosecuting that. Oh, and by the way, 
How do we know she doesn't just limit it to the kids with a joint? Well, what's number 13 on the list? Possession with intent to distribute. So drug dealers, in Joe Biden's America, drug dealers, it is legal. You can sell booze to kids. You can sell drugs to kids. You can sell stolen televisions to kids. She doesn't prosecute drug dealers. But look, at least it's just pot. And come on, we know, you know, in states, a lot of states, pot's not that bad, right? It's just pot. Uh oh. Number 14, non marijuana drug possession. So for any Democrats ready to go home saying, hey, we just like pot because we're Democrats. Nope. Heroin, cocaine. LSD, fentanyl, drug dealers who are poisoning our kids in Joe Biden's America, we don't prosecute you. And number 15 is really the the, the crowning jewel of this, resisting arrest. So I want you to envision what this says. You can break and enter into vacant property and do damage. You can have a homeless person trespass on your front lawn, set up a tent, threaten your children, sell them drugs. And if a police officer shows up and tries to arrest them, they can violently resist arrest. And what does the DA say? All good by me. Not a crime. Madam President, this isn't a word. Nuts. This is crazy. And you know what? This is what the Democrats support. I'll tell you why. The Democrats are counting on the news media refusing to cover this. The Democrats are counting on ABC, NBC, and CBS. This is not news. The Democrats are counting on CNN. Will not cover this. Every single Democrat in this body has voted for Rachel Rollins. They had to bring Vice President Harris out to break the tie. And, you know, Democrats, when they go home, they like to say, we're not for abolishing the police. No! You know what? When you vote to confirm a lawless so-called prosecutor, who says, I won't prosecute crime. You've abolished the police. Cops can't arrest, oh, cops can arrest them, but the DA will let them go. And what did she say? Dismissed pre-arraignment without conditions. This is radical and extreme, and I'm going to make a challenge to Senate Democrat colleagues. Some of you are in purple states, a few of you are in red states. Some of you are in bright blue states. I challenge any of you in the bluest state of the union, go home to your constituents, get any gathering in a town hall, and put this chart in front of them, and ask your constituents, do the people of Nevada agree that we shouldn't prosecute trespassing or or shoplifting or drug dealing or resisting arrest or violent threats? 
Do the people of Virginia agree that these are not crimes and shouldn't be prosecuted? And I promise you in all 50 states, there is not a state too blue where your constituents would agree on this. And so what our Democratic colleagues are counting on, you know, before the vote, I spoke with several Democrats. I tried to tell several Democrats, this is a bad vote. This is a vote you are going to regret. This is a vote your constituents are going to be mad at you for. One of those Democrats said, well, the majority leader asked me to do it. You know, crack the whip, party unity, party discipline. The order from the Democrats in the White House is this is the chief federal law enforcement officer in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. God help you if you don't want violent criminals robbing your store. God help you if you don't want drunken homeless people setting up tents in your front yard. God help you if you don't want drug dealers selling drugs to your children. Because Joe Biden and Kamala Harris has said, those are all A-OK. And if you don't believe me, because in this bizarre partisan world, nobody believes the other side. Read the memo. She entitles the memo, the Rachel Rollins Policy Memo. She wrote it. She put her name on it in writing. We lived in a time of sanity. Senators on both sides, Democrats listening to this, would say, hold, hold on a second. That doesn't make any sense at all. Let's tap the brakes. By the way, one Democrat could stop this nomination. One. Every individual Democrat, you have the choice. It means every one of you is also the deciding vote. So when you go back to your home state, you single-handedly decided this lawless so-called prosecutor should be confirmed. I'll tell you this, you can never again claim you oppose abolishing the police because this vote is front and center. Trespassing, not prosecuted, shoplifting, larceny, disorderly conduct, receiving stolen property, driving with a suspended license, breaking and entering with property damage, wanton and malicious destruction of property, threats, Minor in possession of alcohol, marijuana possession, possession with intent to distribute, non-marijuana drug possession. I don't ever want to see a Democrat stand up here talking about fentanyl. Fentanyl is terrible. I don't want to see another Democrat talk about the opioid crisis, say people are dying in New Hampshire, people are dying in my state. They are. And you're about to vote for a prosecutor who won't prosecute the drug dealers selling those opioids and poisoning our children and won't prosecute resisting arrest. So if the cop comes, take a swing. To my colleagues on the Democratic side of the aisle, there is still time for you to stop this nomination. I implore you, listen to your constituents and do the right thing. This very aptly demonstrates what the left is doing to America and it has the vast majority of Americans mad as hell. But that anger is also the source of their hope, 
An unprecedented number of low-level Democrat politicians are leaving the dark side and moving over to the GOP, and many Dems in Congress have announced that they're not running for re-election because they know they can't possibly win. Indeed, California and New York may even turn from deep blue to purple next November. The Dems are also losing Latinos and blacks at a rate that has them in panic mode. Despite this, their hatred for America and ordinary Americans like you and me is causing Pelosi, the bartender and her squad, Sanders, Schumer, and all the other miscreants and malcontents to push forward with their communist agenda. President Trump recently said that they pushed so far that there may not be a way back, but the American people are hopeful nonetheless because they're counting on a red wave next November. I certainly hope and pray for one too, but my optimism is very cautionary. The 2020 election was rigged, and that's exactly how the demonic Dems were able to take over the White House and both houses of Congress. Consequently, 18 states passed voter reform laws, but none of these states addressed the real issue, voting machines. It was through these voting machines that Biden and many of the members of Congress were able to steal the offices they're in. Even liberal Germany realized that voting machines were a threat to their democracy, so they returned to paper ballots, as we should have. The Democrat Party is the evil party of death. The GOP is simply the stupid party. They both prove this once again when those 18 red states with election reform laws this year never address voting machines. As long as the states refuse to return to paper ballots, we can never expect fair and free elections again. The Democratic Party isn't stupid. They're very well organized, as evil often is. There's no way that they're going to cheat and maintain the majorities of both houses because they know that would lead to an armed revolution. But if I'm right about the voting machines, next November's election won't be the red wave everyone's expecting. And we won't stand a snowball's chance in hell of sending Trump back to the White House in 24, or DeSantis or any other constitutional conservative for that matter. If I'm right about the future outcome of the elections in 22 and 24, there's only one possible remedy remaining for us to save America, and it has to be done while our Constitution is still somewhat intact. Former President Dwight D. Eisenhower understood where this nation was going all the way back in 1963, and he gave us the remedy. Unfortunately, no one understood what he was saying back then, and they didn't see it as credible. It's only been in recent years that Americans have begun to realize what needs to be done. But on May 26, 1963, President Eisenhower gave a commencement address at Defiance College in Defiance, Ohio. Let's listen to three minutes of that address where Ike told us what has to be done. Then I'll discuss it more fully. Through all these developments, government more and more escapes the control of the people. Though in townships and villages, school districts and towns, citizens still make decisions for themselves, the room for decision daily shrinks because each must be made in the context of responsibility and power lost to a distant bureaucracy. Framers of the Constitution could not foresee the exact causes that might bring about 
such a trend, but they knew that the potential danger existed. Only an inspired and educated citizenry will provide the power to keep America from following the paths of earlier civilizations, in which the love of country, the dedication of service to the society, weakened through the love of ease and the worship of affluence. Against the possibility that ordinary and customary processes of self-government might weaken or be found ineffective, or later laws and interpretations of original constitutional intent might conflict with the mass convictions of Americans, the founders provided a final and decisive means of reformation and restoration by the people themselves. Through their state legislatures and without regard to the federal government, the people can demand and participate, participate in constitutional conventions, in which they can, through their own action, adopt such amendments as will reverse any trends they see as fatal to true representative government. I do not here refer to any amendment presently proposed or under consideration by the several states. Moreover, constitutional amendment is not to be lightly undertaken. But if you and your generation, fortified by a superb education, with access to the knowledge and wisdom of the ages, and imbued with the spirit of our founders, decide that reformation of a radical kind becomes due, then I say, let nothing stop you. Study, examine, survey, think, consider, and decide, and then by all means act. May you be a generation that a half century hence can proudly say, we maintained and furthered the American experiment born in 1776 and confirmed in 1789. We made certain that in our time, freedom's flag would be more firmly nailed to the masthead of self-government. In short, we helped the nation to march on in faithful dedication to her own ideals, to fulfillment of her destiny. Godspeed. What Ike was talking about was Article 5 of the United States Constitution. You see, when our framers of the Constitution met, they were men of goodwill and saw the average American as people of goodwill. But one man challenged that ideal. He asked the other framers what would happen if one day the three branches of government were taken over by people who weren't of goodwill, and if those people eroded our liberties in favor of tyranny. The framers agreed that the possibility raised in that question might well exist, so they wrote the fifth article of the Constitution. In part, here's what Article 5 says. On application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states shall call a convention proposing amendments, which, in either case, shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states. An Article V Convention of States isn't an opportunity for a leftist rewriting of the Constitution, but rather an opportunity for us to rein in the federal government and give control of it back to the people. An Article V Convention of States is Democrats' worst nightmare. I'm going to give you some homework, six-pack warriors. Go to my show notes in this episode. 
For those of you who don't know how to do that, visit cantankerouscatholic.com. Then click on the tab that says Episodes. When that page pops up, click on this particular episode. My show notes will appear right below the podcast player. Under the section of my show notes that says Resources, you'll see a link that says Convention of States. That link will take you to a page where you can download a free Article 5 Convention of States Pocket Guide. That guide will educate you on Article 5 and answer all of your questions. You'll also see that an Article 5 Convention of States is endorsed by great patriots you already know. Mark Levin, Governor Ron DeSantis, Ben Shapiro, Sean Hannity, Pete Hedseth, and Senator Rand Paul, to name just a few. In my personal opinion, the finest constitutional scholar in this country is radio host and attorney Mark Levin. He's written an entire book on the Article 5 Convention of States titled The Liberty Amendments. You'll find a link to it in my show notes as well. I want you to get a copy of this book. It's one of the finest books about America and the Constitution that I've ever read, and it so fully explains the Article 5 Convention of States that you'll have neither questions nor reservations about it when you finish reading the book. Your homework is to get a copy of the free Article 5 Convention of States pocket guide and read it, and to get a copy of Mark Levin's The Liberty Amendments. After you've done that, Go back to the Convention of States website and sign up as a volunteer team member or leader or send an email to your state legislators through that site. Just get involved. I've been involved since this thing started. It's our last chance to save this great democratic republic. So get in there and do your part. Hey, six-pack warriors, before you leave this episode, be sure to go to my show notes and click on the subscribe link. Just pick Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music, whichever one you want to subscribe through. You don't have to subscribe to hear the show, but the more subscribers there are, the more these platforms will make the cantankerous Catholic known to Catholics looking for good podcasts. And please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use. The more reviews, the more the show gets shown to Catholics looking for good podcasts. And I thank you. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Fox News. The Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, remained in life-saving and life-sustaining mode on Sunday as search and rescue teams scoured the debris after devastating tornadoes hit the Midwest and South. Kentucky, where workers at a candle factory were trapped under debris, has seen the highest death toll. Governor Andy Bashir indicated that more than 80 may have died in that state. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes.
Catholic News Pick Number Four. Hats off to the National Catholic Register. Bishop William Medley of Owensboro, Kentucky, is asking for prayers after several fatal tornadoes ripped through several states, causing massive damage and killing at least 70 people in Kentucky alone. Let us unite in prayer as a Catholic community for all of the suffering that was caused by this disaster, he said. Oh, yeah. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick pick number three. Hats off to Fox News. The Democratic governor of Colorado, Gerald Polis, declared that the COVID-19 emergency is over. Everybody had more than enough opportunity to get vaccinated, said Polis. Hopefully it's been at your pharmacy, your grocery store, a bus near you, or at big events. At this point, if you haven't been vaccinated, it's really your own darn fault. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick pick number two. two. Hats off to Fox News. Governor Gavin Newsom said he was outraged by the Supreme Court's decision Friday to allow a ban on most abortions in Texas to remain in place. Newsom promised to support a ban on guns using the same enforcement mechanism that Texas has in place against abortions. If the most efficient way to keep these devastating weapons off our streets is to add the threat of private lawsuits, we should do just that, Newsom said. But constitutional scholar Jonathan Turley responded, If the law is crafted as Newsom suggests, this won't work legally. Why, you must be delusional or something. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick pick number one. Hats off to the Daily Signal. As of December 10th, pretender Biden has nominated 62 people for positions to the federal bench, with the Democratic Senate confirming 28 so far. Senate Republicans are pledging to amplify efforts to block radical nominees. Republicans on the Judiciary Committee contested Oregon judicial nominee Jennifer Sung for signing a letter against Brett Kavanaugh that called him intellectually and morally bankrupt. Despicable! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair! It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. Did the popes after Vatican II allow or recommend communion in hand? No, not at all. Simon Rafe continues to educate us on the evil deception of cardinals and bishops to promote the equally evil disrespect caused by communion in the hand, and he tells us about the ways of Rome. 
We've been talking about communion in the hand for several weeks. Please start giving me some feedback about this and tell me what you think. Now here's Simon. When in Rome, they say, do as the Romans do. And when you are Roman Catholic, what is happening in Rome in the Vatican at the Pope's masses should be the watchword and guide for celebrating the liturgy. But that's not always the case, particularly when it comes to receiving Holy Communion. The tradition of receiving the Eucharist, the literal body, blood, soul, and divinity of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ on the tongue while kneeling is an ancient practice with roots growing deep into the church's rich liturgical soil. But just because a tree is deeply rooted doesn't mean it can't be quickly torn up. Literally centuries, nearly two millennia of tradition was all but done away with in the West almost overnight. In the decades following the Second Vatican Council, the tree that had borne such glorious fruit was uprooted and the weed of communion in the hand planted in its place. And don't think I'm being melodramatic here. The Church's ancient practice of reception on the tongue not only brought the fruit of the Eucharist to countless generations of Catholics, but also presented it to them in the most reverential manner that could not but make them aware of the awesome reality of what they were receiving. The sadly all-too-common and current practice of reception in the hand does not deny Catholics that wonderful fruit, but it sets up a thicket of thorns between them and proper reverence towards the Eucharist. Don't just think it is me who is saying this. Cardinal Ranjith, in his introduction to Dominus Est, said this about communion in the hand. This practice contributes to a gradual, growing weakening of the attitude of reverence towards the sacred Eucharistic species. The earlier practice, on the other hand, better safeguards the sense of reverence. In most parishes in the West, in Europe, North America, and elsewhere influenced by the United States cultural imperialism, the normal method of receiving Holy Communion is in the hand. You would think that this practice, almost universal today, would have started in Rome. After all, how else could it have spread so far and so fast? Well, it didn't start in Rome. It started in the low countries of Belgium and Holland, and it started as an abuse, not an approved, let alone a recommended practice. Later on, it was picked up and championed by bishops and priests, and even cardinals in other countries, agents of darkness wanting, for whatever reason, to advance the agenda of communion in the hand. But surely, even if it started as an abuse in a sea-washed corner of Europe, it must have had some kind of approval in Rome, right? A tacit approval, at least. Surely the popes have said it's okay, or at the very least kept quiet about it. If it's such a common thing in the Roman Catholic Church, then you'd think the Catholic Pope, leader of the church headquartered in Rome, would be doing it, right? That ain't the case, and it never was. Now, sure, you're going to say that, of course, the popes back in the day, Renaissance popes, medieval popes, popes who worked alongside emperors and Caesars, were all about communion on the tongue. But the more recent popes, the ones who came after Vatican II, for example, wouldn't they be fine with communion in the hand? No, they aren't and weren't. Let's go all the way back to the pope who closed the Second Vatican Council, the pope who promulgated its documents and who was the first one to implement its teachings. The man, more than any other, who can have been said to have led the council. In 1969, Pope Paul VI ordered the Congregation for Divine Worship to prepare an instruction, which was called Memorale Domini. And before you say somebody else drew it up so it doesn't reflect the Pope's thinking, he personally proofread the document, made changes and corrections to it, and then signed it and authorized it for publication. In this document, Pope Paul VI says about communion on the tongue. This method of distributing Holy Communion must be retained, taking the present situation of the Church in the entire world into account, not merely 
because it has many centuries of tradition behind it, but especially because it expresses the faithful's reverence for the Eucharist. The custom does not detract in any way from the personal dignity of those who approach this great sacrament. It is part of that preparation that is needed for the most fruitful reception of the body of the Lord. This reverence shows that it is not a sharing in ordinary bread and wine that it is involved, but in the body and blood of the Lord. Further, the practice, which must be considered traditional, ensures more effectively that Holy Communion is distributed with the proper respect, decorum, and dignity. It removes the danger of profanation of the sacred species, which, in a unique way, Christ, God, and man is present whole and entire, substantially and continually. It ensures diligent carefulness about the fragments of consecrated bread, which the Church has always recommended, what you have allowed to drop, think of it, as though you had lost one of your own members. So, straight out of the gate, within a decade of the Second Vatican Council, Pope Paul VI, the man charged with implementing all the changes the Council supposedly required, had those words written and signed his name to it. Hardly surprising, of course. Communion on the tongue was the tradition of the Church, and nothing in the documents of the Council suggested the practice should change. I would give you a quote from Vatican II, but, well, there's literally nothing to quote. The Council Fathers presumed the traditional manner of reception of the Eucharist would continue. And continue it did. After Paul VI came John Paul I, who sadly died after one of the shortest pontificates in history, only as many days as our blessed Lord had years. After him came Saint John Paul II, a man with one of the longest pontificates in history, and certainly the man whose influence still lies heavy on the Church today. What did he have to say about communion in the hand? Plenty, as it turns out. In his 1980 apostolic exhortation, Dominake Chene, he wrote, In some countries, the practice of receiving communion in the hand has been introduced. However, cases of deplorable lack of respect towards the Eucharistic species have been reported, cases which are imputable not only to the individuals guilty of such behavior, but also to the pastors of the church, who have not been vigilant enough regarding the attitude of the faithful towards the Eucharist. How eloquent, therefore, is the right of the anointing of the hands in our Latin ordination, as though precisely for these hands a special grace and power of the Holy Spirit is necessary. To touch the sacred species and to distribute them with their own hands is a privilege of the ordained. Pay attention to what he is saying there, that there is a lack of respect, a deplorable lack of respect, towards Jesus Christ because of communion in the hand. And that is what he is saying. The Eucharist is Christ. It is Christ in the flesh. Our God not only made man, but our God made food. We should treat our Creator and Lord with respect, but even more so when he deigns to humiliate himself by making himself so vulnerable and accessible to us. The very ordinariness of the act of receiving the Eucharist as food should make us more reverential towards it, not less. Also, note what the saint says about the hands of the priest. Because of the specialness and sacredness of the priesthood, the anointing of the hands of the priest during ordination as organs of sacramental ministry, touching the Eucharist is a privilege reserved to the priesthood. Our hands, the hands of the laity, were not made to administer the sacraments, and if we try, we risk blurring the essential distinction between the priesthood and the laity, the sacred and the profane. And it wasn't just in dry official documents Pope John Paul spoke out against this abuse. In the same year, 1980, the Pope visited Germany. There he was asked about communion in the hand by a reporter from the magazine Stimi der Glaubens. He replied, There is an apostolic letter on the existence of a special valid permission for this, but I tell you that I am not in favor of this practice, nor do I recommend it. The permission was granted only due to the insistence of some diocesan bishop. 
There's a lot to unpack there in such a short statement, but for now, concentrate on the simple direct words of the Holy Father. I do not recommend it. I am not in favor of it. But those are just words, right? The church has plenty of rules and regulations, plenty of recommendations and best practices. What really matters isn't what people say, it's what people do, right? Acta non verba and all that? Oh, don't worry. We are video. You're looking at footage of Pope Benedict XVI, John Paul II's successor, distributing communion on the tongue to kneeling communicants. He began to distribute the Eucharist exclusively in this manner in 2008. He started quietly without a lot of fanfare, simply asking for kneelers to be set up during Masses celebrated on May the 22nd and June the 15th. But on June the 25th, Monsignor Guido Marini, the Pope's Master of Ceremonies, gave an interview with Azervatore Romano, the Vatican's official newspaper. In that interview, he confirmed what many people had already observed, that Pope Benedict would be distributing communion only on the tongue, and to receive the Eucharist at a papal mass, a communicant would have to kneel and could not take Jesus into his hands. This policy, already put in place in the two masses in May and June, would officially begin, appropriately enough, on the Eucharistic feast of Christ's body and blood, Corpus Christi. But that wasn't all Monsignor Marini said. He was the Pope's master of ceremonies, but he spoke about far more than just papal masses. Listen to this. It is necessary not to forget that the distribution of communion on the hand continues to remain, from the juridical standpoint, an exception to the universal law conceded by the Holy See to those bishops' conferences who have requested it. The form used by Benedict XVI attempts to underline the force of the valid norm for the entire church. Right there, from the man who gets a paycheck from the Pope himself, to make sure that the Pope's masses run not only smooth as cream, but also right. Reception of the Eucharist kneeling and on the tongue is the norm, and receiving in the hand or standing is an exception to the universal law. And he went even further than just reminding Catholics laws are made to be followed. He said receiving the Eucharist on the tongue better highlights the truth of the real presence in the Eucharist, helps the devotion of the faithful, and introduces more easily the sense of mystery, which, in our times, pastorally speaking, it is urgent to highlight and recover. But it wasn't just the Pope's MC saying this. Raymond Cardinal Burke, then the Prefect of the Apostolic Signatura, the Chief Justice of the Church's Supreme Court, to put it in American terms, expressed the same view when asked about the Pope's decision. The Holy Father is giving a very clear lesson by his own insistence that the faithful receive kneeling and on the tongue uh, He's teaching us something. I mean, this is a, a decision which he obviously made with much thought and for good reasons. And so, to me, it uh, is the case for us to uh, teach the faithful once again about the reverence, do reverence for receiving Holy Communion, and to encourage them to consider uh, a return to that traditional form uh, of communion kneeling and, and receiving the Holy Communion on the tongue. That's pretty clear. This isn't just about blind tradition or some jobs worth adherence to the letter of the law. There's a message being sent, a lesson being taught, and that message is the opposite of the one sent by allowing communion in the hand. The lesson is that Christ is really, truly, and substantially present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. That our blessed Lord, the creator of the universe and redeemer of our souls, has come to us in the flesh as real food, for our bodies and our souls. 
But then again, that was Benedict, right? And John Paul, and even Paul VI. I mean, let's be honest here. Paul VI might have been the Vatican II Pope, but he wasn't really Vatican II, was he? John Paul was a crusty Polish conservative. No, he started on Benedict. Joseph Ratzinger? The Panzer Cardinal? God's Rottweiler? He kept an iron grip around church's doctrine, liturgy, and practice since he was the head of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. None of those guys are going to change. But Pope Francis, he's cool, he's hip, he's with it, right? And he's sure at sunrise making his view, views known. He calls out priests who don't do things the way he wants them done. He shook up and changed the Vatican, didn't he? Well, he did. He certainly changed a lot, but he hasn't changed this. He certainly had every opportunity to shake things up. He could have brought in his own staff, his own man to be master of ceremonies, but he didn't. He kept Guido Marini in place, and get this, the Monsignor who served under Bennett is still, as of this moment, serving under Francis in exactly the same role. Not so much shaking things up, is it? But there's more. Like I said, acta non verba. Pope Francis certainly says a lot, but watch, watch what he does. You're looking at footage from a papal mass in Rome on April the 14th, 2013, Notice Pope Francis distributing communion on the tongue. You can see the same thing here in this video shot a week later. Once again, a papal mass in Rome, April 21st. Again, Pope Francis distributes communion on the tongue to kneeling communicants. But that's not all. Take a closer look here. At both masses, priests redirected communicants who had put out their hand to receive our Lord to instead receive on their tongue in order to reverently and securely receive their God. That goes beyond the personal preference of the Pope, beyond a suggestion the faithful can or cannot follow. Those priests were telling Catholics in no uncertain terms they needed to receive communion kneeling and on the tongue. Try and imagine that happening in a parish in America today. Now, if you're having trouble, it might be because not only would that be considered a major taboo, many leaders would call it not pastoral and call a priest on the carpet for it, but also because exactly the opposite happens all too often. Frequently, priests order kneeling communicants to stand, shaming them in front of the whole congregation, or even shove Jesus into their folded hands like he's a cookie. Telling Catholics to receive in the manner prescribed by the universal laws of the church rarely happens in America, yet that is exactly what is happening in Rome. It's pretty clear not a single pope had anything good to say about communion in the hand, and several of them, including the current pontiff, Pope Francis, either say or do things that show they overwhelmingly prefer the ancient, traditional, and universally legal practice of communion on the tongue. In the words of St. Augustine, Roma locuta est causa finita est. Rome has spoken, the case is closed. So why is the manner of reception of the Eucharist even a point of contention when the popes have made it so clear? Because the voice of Rome has not only been ignored, but also hidden and even actively lied about by agents of darkness. It began shortly after the Second Vatican Council, when men with a Protestant agenda obfuscated and distorted the words of the Pope, and they were very successful. Today, too many Catholics think Pope Paul VI, if not actually calling for communion in the hand, didn't speak out against it. Fortunately for the Pope's reputation, not to mention the faith of millions of Catholics, the documents tell a different case. And so what Mighty needs to do now is find the documents Paul VI wrote about the Eucharist in the years following the Second Vatican Council. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. 
There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Augustine. He said, What does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. It has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. This is what love looks like. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. During the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, there lived a rich baron named Stuart. Since the queen executed Catholic priests, there weren't too many of them left alive. But this baron kept and hid two, one at his manor in London and the other in his castle outside the city. They were protected and well paid and had no other duty except to wait until the baron was in the mood to confess his sins. He thought, what can happen to me? I'm always secure whether I'm in my manor or my castle. I have a priest in both places. In his false sense of security, the baron lived a wicked life and didn't bother with confession as he should have. Once on the way from his manor to his castle, he suddenly became ill in his carriage. He became frightened and realized that this was a punishment from God. Saddle your horse and go to the castle, he told his driver. To the other driver, he said, take the other horse and hurry to the manor. Whichever of you return with the priest first will receive a great reward. Both drivers returned at the same time and led priest to the carriage. They opened it and saw the hardened sinner sitting there cold and dead. It's most important that you use God's grace at the time he offers it. Don't let yourself be so foolish as to think, I'm going to commit this sin. I can always go to confession later. You can only be fooled once, and that eternally, as Stuart was. He sinned by presumption, that is, he presumed, or took it for granted, that God would send him a priest before he died. 
It was about people like Stuart who Jesus was speaking of in Luke 12, 20, when he said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Have you ever really explored the Cantankerous Catholic website? Did you know that I have six of my own books available there? Did you know that I have t-shirts, sweatshirts, and coffee mugs available? You can accomplish three things when you buy some of my swag. Your purchase helps to support this apostolate. You'll have something to display that says you're a six-pack warrior, and you'll look just plain cool. How many Catholic apostolates can make you look cool? Click on the Joe's Stuff tab at cantankerouscatholic.com today. Let the world know you're a cool six-pack warrior. been the cantankerous catholic with joe sixpack the every catholic guy thanks for subscribing and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of joe's popular book the best of what we believe why we believe it